Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Greetings, comrades. Today's episode is going to be a bit, um, strange, I suppose, but I have to do this because uh, it turns out that there's a tattoo parlor in Riga. It's called Tatuimand, by the way. And they listen to the show and they support me, so they, um, uh, basically granted me a free tattoo of my choice as long as I made this episode about Russian video games and stuff that's popular and the Soviet depictions in those video games. It's a bit bizarre, but, well, now I could get my Brotherhood of Steel tattoo on my arm for free, which is good, because, as you might know, all the money goes to important stuff. Well, when it comes to video games and the depictions of the Soviet life in them, probably the most famous video game series, which involve, well, something Eastern border related, would be the Red Alert series, the Comet and Conquer Red Alert. That was a real-time strategy, a spin-off of the usual Comet and Conquer series, which moved on to about the GDI and Nod and Kane. And then there was Red Alert. In the first Red Alert game, which was kind of one of our groundbreaking things in its era, they used a live-action movies as as their cutscenes, which is awesome and, and unusual in the era with real actors and everything, and in the follow-up of the game, it has discontinued, and, uh, well, they've become crazy, except currently Comet and Conquer series in general seem to be a bit off. But, yeah, in these games, it was basically kind of like Red Dawn. In short, uh, the story of the game, well, the first one, was that the uh, Allies discover a time machine. Well, Einstein builds one. It's going to be a bit silly, like I said, but what can you do? Einstein builds a time machine, and then, you know, as you do, as the old tropes go, the Allies go back in time and murder Hitler. Well, Einstein does that. Which causes Stalin to, you know, become super powerful, and then Stalin starts World War II on his own against the Allies with a massive Soviet invasion. It is later than stopped, of course, but then the time machine is kind of used again, and people go back in time and there's even more time shenanigans, because after that comes Red Alert 2, where the Soviets have been beaten back, but Red Alert 2, I suppose, are the most kind of advanced of the series and kind of more popular ones. And in Red Alert 2, now, that is a complete Red Dawn scenario where... The Soviets have regained power, and then they padded up there, but Red Alert 2 already got sillier. As this time, the Soviets have uh, gained 
a psychic component, someone called Yuri, on their side, which uh, initially helps them to uh, kind of defeat the allies, but then Yuri betrays the Prime Minister, I don't even remember what his name was in Red Alert 2, and then kind of starts to mind control the whole thing, and then the Soviets and the allies have to unite to kill Yuri. Which is like fun and games as usual, but you know, it's a hard mess, it's one of the first games where, where that gets united. And um, then, wow, then uh, Comet and Conquer Red Alert 3 happened, which is a game, if you talk about seriousness, that game has a Soviet unit, which is literally a uh, bear that fights for you. You can also shoot this bear at your opponents from a basically a ginormous air cannon, which is also mobile as it's put on a boat. Yes, you can para-drop bears from boats by shooting them with air cannons, if you play as the Russians in that game, as the Soviets. But yeah, that game's plot is kind of one of the craziest I've seen, because then Time Machine is used again, and Einstein is killed, but after only he killed Hitler, but because Einstein is killed, there is no nukes, which means that at the end of World War II, Japan isn't nuked, and that causes them to stay imperial and become the third massive power, except that they now use ginormous mechas and whatnot, and they have their own psychers, and it's just bizarre, but... But again, in these um, games, as everywhere, and Tim Kaine, by the way, is awesome there in Red Alert 3 as the General Secretary, or the Prime Minister, because they, for some reason, use Prime Ministers there in this uh, Soviet era game. As the leader, he's amazing, and I guess that's the number one thing that always is shown, that, you know, when uh, people in the West play video games, I guess they often view... But always uh, kind of shown as these rough survivalist brutal guys. Kind of like, you know, in another game, Street Fighter 2, which has probably another one of the more famous Russian characters, Zangief. 2 for some reason is called Zangief. I have no clue about anyone in Russia um, or in Soviet Union being called actually Zangief, but whatever. So he's a massive, massive wrestler. The thing is that in one of the original endings, um, if you win this Zangief character, he'll do a special move for you. And one of the moves that he did, at least when the Soviet Union was still alive, and in some game versions of Street Fighter 2, if you get those older ones, uh, you can get Zangief, and he basically gets greeted by Gorbachev, who arrives, and then, you know, they shake hands and dance Kalinka together. Because that's kind of a, another stereotype, if you come to think about this Soviet, Russian, Eastern European depictions in video games. When you think about it, it's always this super stereotypical. It's, you know, tanks driving on the streets, everyone playing Kalinka, and bears roaming around. And, and um, like I said, there was this Russian joke that I heard recently. And again, this episode is just a bit, bit of a rambling, as my script consists of bullet notes, because I was just asked to do this in this month, and today's the last day, so I have to cobble this one together. So it's less serious than usual, but we'll get back to our serious episodes. However, this is the kind of the super stereotypical depiction of how like in that anecdote where an American asks a Russian is it true that you know uh, bears roam around uh, your streets and roads uh, on a daily basis and the Russian just thinks a bit and says no total lies we don't have roads so in a way it's kind of overplayed because all these kind of super tough mega awesome Soviet army stereotypes currently play into a lot of uh, Russian 
chauvinism and imperialism. It's kind of like the glory of their army stands undisputed and forever, which is one of the interesting things to think about. But on the other hand, it also plays into this oh, slightly not as smart, slightly simple, yet rough, eating beets makes you strong, survive harsh winters, people from these parts. One of the few games that actually gets the whole being from this area thing is the Stalker series. They're excellent, and I think I've mentioned those before, because I still don't understand how can you play Stalker if you don't speak Russian. Because that's one of the games where the background and the mood and atmosphere is just perfect. It is excellent, and it's kind of a survival shooter set in Chernobyl. Just an imaginary Chernobyl, a nuclear catastrophe never happened. However, as it's based on a book, Roadside Picnic, well, it is loosely based on a book, book's called that because literally some aliens used this as a picnic place and then they just left all their trash which are like massive artifacts with weird things going on but now there's this exclusion zone and there's mysteries surrounding the zone and people go in there to look for anomalies and artifacts and it's a rough rough place but you know in that game you can recognize the type of canned meat for example that we actually used here and the sausage looks great and everything well it was made by ukrainians so they know what's up but this was one of the more authentic things. Then, then there's um, Metro series, also kind of well-known, but in the first game it was also kind of atmospheric and everything. I think they actually did a better job of conveying the whole atmosphere thing about how it's like, because it's, it's all this sadness and depression and, you know, everyday misery and, and self-loathing that we have here in Dark Humor. I think Metro series, the first game, gets it really good. I sadly haven't played the second and third games, but what I've seen from the trailers, yeah, that's a, kind of a realistic depiction of what the post-apocalyptic thing looked like. I think I've mentioned that before, but in this region there are, like, biases towards, well, against video game characters who are seen as too good. If you're too good and not thinking about your own stuff, then you're not considered kind of, you know, important enough or, or loyal enough or just, you know, kind of cool enough to actually be a tough guy where... We're not happy-go-lucky people. But and this is less of a Soviet thing. But again, trying to figure out what to talk about when, when you're given this subject. Soviet depictions and video games, I have to stretch it because... Hey, sorry guys, but what can I do? Is that there's a lot of people who obviously are fans of CD Projekt Red here. You know, we're all waiting for Cyberpunk because then we have to speak about Witcher. The Witcher series are super popular here because they are based on Polish fairy tales and legends, and they are based on fairy tales from our region, mostly Polish, but they're still, you know, we have similar studies around these parts. And when the first Witcher game came out, it was highly criticized by the fact of the lack of diversity in its cost. However, well, yeah, it's based on Polish legends, and, and CD Projekt Red responded that, hey, well, we, all the characters in those legends are white, mostly because those are like Polish folktales, and we didn't really have black people around these parts. To which uh, some critics responded that, yeah, but you're making a fantasy world, not an authentic historical world, so if you have dragons and elves, why can't you have, like, black people also, just for inclusion? I think that's sort of a valid point. But on the other hand, I can also see how some people could be angered a bit slightly because elves are part of those legends and dragons are also part of those legends while, you know, people from Asia or black people, they wouldn't be, you know, a part of that. So that could be seen by some as a sort of a perversion of the culture. Now, I don't, I don't hold this opinion, but 
That's an interesting thing to think about. You wouldn't uh, ask if, you know, usually Japanese-made JRPGs, they have 99% uh, Asian characters, and there are some games with only Asian characters. I'm speaking Asian because, well, of course, there's differences between Koreans and Japanese. It's just that, well, sometimes they have also Chinese characters and Korean ones, and they're not all the same people, obviously. It's kind of like saying that all black people are the same, and all white people are the same. So, sorry if I'm making this mistake up, but... You know, it's it's weird how seriously we take these video games these days and how they've become this form of media and how that depiction influences the view of the world of kind of the younger generation specifically. And also people kind of like my age because, you know, I'm turning 30 right now and it's just bizarre how video games have become this important part of media and part of our culture. And yeah, I'm all for, you know, more diversity in, in video games, and sometimes it's done right, and sometimes it's done really wrong. Because again, when you speak about, in response to this criticism about, you know, this uh, Polish game about Polish fairy tales, and uh, based on a Polish author's book who based them on, on his studies, in response to that, you can look at kind of super stereotypical Slavic depictions in other games. And I want to talk about Fallout 4 in this case, too. Hey guys, Annette here. I hope you are enjoying our new episode of The Eastern Border. As always, a big thank you to all of our Patreons. The show would not be possible without your help. If you are not a Patreon and would like to become one, head over to the Eastern Border page on Patreon.com. Please remember to also follow us on our social media, like Twitter, where we are known as Eastern underscore Border, and on our Facebook page. We also have a Discord server, so if you're interested in that, find the link in the description of this podcast. That's it for now. See you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Because, yeah, this is a philosophical ramblings, and I'm, I'm sure that a lot of you who don't play video games will probably not enjoy this episode as much, but hey, please forgive me, the things I do when someone really offers me something really cool. Yeah, and those games, for one, everyone's a huge Fallout fan here. We love our post games. There are a bunch of Russian-made mods of Fallout, and Russians actually made Fallout online before Fallout 76, and they just smashed together Fallout 1 and 2 series, but in Fallout 4, there are characters called the Bobrov Brothers. They run a bar in Diamond City, and they are probably the only kind of Russian-ish characters in the whole Fallout series so far that I've seen. I may be missing someone, but 
they uh, stuck to me the most. Then again, the game is set in Boston, but you probably would expect some Russian-American guys surviving this war, um, this post-apocalyptic universe more. There I noticed the thing that everyone, you know, the game is set in, after the post-apocalypse in 2270-something-something, right? And even in that game, yeah, sure, you are, your name is Bobrov, and you're a Russian-American, and you still speak with quite a thicker Russian accent. Now, one would presume that you would lose an accent after, you know, 200 years of being stranded in another continent, because, well, no one knows what exactly, uh, you know, happened in the Fallout universe, but that's sort of an interesting depiction of how this diversity thing is in general, because, you know, when we talk about these things, these depictions of Soviet people in video games, or how we talk about, and video games are often fantasy, we still have to think about how do we depict real-life events in fiction and how sensitive we are because, you know, this can lead to some terrible scenarios where, you know, a, a kind of a piece of media really offends some people. But then again, well, Huckleberry Finn gets censored somewhere, even though that's a kind of a piece of a classic literature. So that's a, that's a thing that's really important to think about. And then again, on a more, um, more of a serious note, continuing on that way, well, 99% of all the depictions of the Soviets are obviously in World War II games. The most notably interesting ones come from the early Call of Duty series, because I remember in, it was either the first or the second Call of Duty, when you went out there and you actually had to play for the Soviets in the campaigns, you didn't even get to play the guy with a rifle, you get to play the guy with three bullets, and the voice acting was great there, but at least in the early titles of the Call of Duty series, they try to show you the the misery of war, the fact that you were not alone, the fact that there were a bunch and a ton of soldiers. Even though lately Russian ultra-nationalists have appeared as the evil guys in the modern, more modern entries of this, and, and well, if you speak about Russia, then there's the super infamous Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 no-Russian level, where you actually have to go and, as these Russian ultra-nationalists, commit terrible acts of terrorism in an airport and shoot people there, and it's not always called no-Russian which is interesting, but yeah, Russians are often the villains, but in the World War II series, they're quite often depicted as the best guys, but they're also kind of very stereotypical. Well, that's in line, because in World War II games, obviously the American soldiers who fight at the Pacific Theater, they are always the brave, gung-ho patriotic, kind of because the games are mostly American-made, and they're, they're a greater generation, as far as I know how you guys over there call it. Those are kind of these very stereotypical ones. The British are always kind of more sleek and with more secret service oriented. And the Soviet levels are usually just, ah, grind them through, comrade. One more bullet into the Nazi's head. It's going to be fun. I don't even know. Those accents are so silly that I can't even put those up normally. But yeah, these World War II games that are very popular. And again, I would have to talk about how they're mentioned and how they're used in modern-day propaganda, because, you know, this war glorification that has been going on in modern-day Russia, it's scary. However, video games are not really used to depict that. Because people who use computers use internet, and movies are used to, for, for this grand victory propaganda and promotion and this kind of glorification of, of war and imperialism in Russia. However, video games are not, because, like I said, people who use computers use internet, and um, it's kind of very dangerous right now be in Russia and use internet because they want to, you know, turn it off and they don't have friendly relationships. So that's kind of interesting. However, one important factor is that um, 
There's also really cool non-soldiery, non-FPS games, which is like awesome. Especially where you can like play as Soviets, one of them is Il-2 Sturmovik, or Il-2 The Fighter Plane. Which is probably, you know, those simulation series. I bet that they are the most accurate depiction of actually flying a World War II at a fighter plane ever created. If you're into that sort of thing, go for it. They're, they're brilliant. That's kind of the, the number one thing. Then, when we talk about all this situation, let's talk about leaders in, in video games too, because this also touched my nerve. Because like I said, this is not my field. I don't usually do video game stuff, so I had to figure this out. Let's talk Civilization series. See, uh, in Civilization series, well, which probably everyone from my generation older have played and they're super well known, obviously you can play as the Russians. In the first game, the leader was Joseph Stalin, obviously. Second game introduced, changed him for Lenin, if male, or Catherine the Great, if female. And so far it has been either split between Peter the Great, Catherine the Great, or, well, Joseph Stalin, who reappeared back in Civilization 4. Their special units are usually Cossacks, or T-34 tanks, which is just crazy. And again, their powers, well, if we speak about Russia, whose leader is Joseph Stalin, then one can presume that, you know, they uh, tend to go communist. But the trick is that on all these strategy games, including Civilization, Russians have some power, and Soviets have some power, which also comes from World War II. It comes not only from World War II, though, from Napoleon and this famous Mother Russia, the General Winter thing. They usually have some way of achieving obscene amounts of land or just some bonus for coldness. And when looking this up, if you look at the Russian civilization, another strategy game, but older one, called Empire Earth, the Russian power is literally called the Motherland, which is extremely abusable by one, and it causes people to take extra attrition. I mean, if you send in military units, then the land itself will start killing you off. You, your units start taking damage just by walking over Russian land. It's a bit crazy because, you know, again, stereotype about this massive Siberian everything, which I usually, again, find interesting because if you think about it, then 80% of Russia's population live in the European part, and whenever someone speaks Soviet, then usually they mean in these video games that it's Russian. Even though by now, you, I hope, have understood that the Soviet Union was not a kind of monolithic state. It had many identities and traditions, and so Russians having these Cossacks is, of course, fine, and Mother Russia having these upgrades, but when the Soviets use this Mother Russia thing, it is always somewhat bizarre. Now, there are also other interesting depictions, such as in, uh, I think it was GTA 4? Where you played a Russian immigrant in um, the United States, but I haven't played GTA series at all. They're not among my favorites, so I can't speak about those. Interestingly enough, the other thing that is in the similar vein as the depictions in Paradox, Grand Strategy games, which I love so much. And there, there you can get, like, all sorts of uh, Soviets. In Hearts of Iron 4, for example, and this is kind of a popular strategy if you want to go alternate history route, you can get uh, the Soviets run by Trotsky, although they normally have a much, much more difficult time in basically conquering uh, back uh, territories lost when, well, the Nazis inevitably attack. But again, all of these is about stereotypes, and yeah, this is a bit, bit weird episode and touching on serious subjects, but kind of interesting to be silly. One interesting thing that I heard is, like, when I looked at this, is that 
there are uh, people who write about communism and its depictions in video games. And, you know, despite Red Alert 3, which I mentioned at the beginning, there are some crazy, crazy serious depictions of communism itself, which is mostly, you know, if you switch to communism or socialism, you get this typically depressing, uh, like, Soviet-looking man under communism and stuff. And um, one of these games is the game series Democracy, of which latest entry there is Democracy 3, and it's basically a very in-depth government simulation game that puts you in charge of a nation. You decide policies, it's a very kind of tabletop game, and but like table-based, kind of like Excel. And you can like pick uh, ideologies there. And one such ideology is the socialist paradise. <laughs> it's even called socialist paradise, and um, I'm not even thinking they use that ironically or something. Basically, that is kind of this attempt to build, in this game, the socialist utopia that Karl Marx kind of wanted to get. This is interesting because you get a bunch of other things and the image for the achievement is a hammer and sickle. So, it's another, like, genius communist idea. But the funniest part about this is the fact that Mario Kart, of all things, is communist. <laughs> yeah, Mario Kart, as a lot of you may know, is a spin-off series for the Mario Brothers franchise from Nintendo. Well, which basically pits popular characters from the universe against each other in kind of, you know, go-kart racing. And players can choose their character and vehicle and race one another in selection of theme tracks. It's super colorful and fun and great and... And they can use, like, special items and, they, and, like, win the race and have a lot of progress. However, and I found this on a blog and I had never thought of it in this way. And, uh, this is a quote from uh, JaffaMeister.com from his article of 2016, where he writes that, quote, What about Mario Kart is a great depiction of full communism, do you ask? Well, first we must look at Mario himself. Mario is a plumber, a profession commonly attributed with the working class. Mario wears mostly red, sporting overalls and a full, healthy, Stalin-like mustache. Comparisons can easily be drawn between his aesthetic and various communist themes, and he is the main character of the franchise, revered as a hero by many. We can also look to the mechanics present in Mario Kart itself. Look at Bullet Bell, for instance, an item that is only available to those in the last places and races and gives them a boost in order to provide them an equal opportunity of success. If that isn't communism, I don't know what is. It's just amazing. It's it's one of the funniest things ever, but if you think about it, hey, yeah, I guess I guess it would make sense. But yeah, I have to save the thing uh, for last about when talking about the Soviets and communism, and this time it's going to be kind of a Chinese communism, I suppose, because communism is present in the Fallout games, because in the series, traditionally, in those very popular post-apocalyptic series, which I mentioned in the beginning, yes, uh, the Soviets only get depicted in the fourth game, as far as I know, but there's a communist Chinese invasion of Anchorage, Alaska, and, you know, there's a whole shackle going on there, and the big war that started, well, it doesn't mention Europe there, but in that setting, the war went nuclear between the Chinese and the Americans. So, over there, you get the marvelous American responses to this, and uh, the biggest and the best thing that talks about communism about all this stuff that we, you know, talk about on this show, is, of course, none other than Glorious Liberty Prime, which you can rebuild in Fallout 3, and then in Fallout 4, and essentially, and in these games, Liberty Prime is a massive super robot, which was built to basically, well, fight against the Chinese. I'm just gonna read some of the quotes, and because you used them to fight against Enclave, and Enclave depicts this ultra-idealized, sarcastic version of post-apocalyptic 
American government, which wants to eradicate all mutants, except that everyone's a mutant, including other Americans. And the Brotherhood of Steel rebuilds them, but the quotes that he basically states are just wondrous. So, from Fallout 3. <clears throat> Liberty Prime is online. All systems nominal. Weapons hut. Mission, the destruction of any and all Chinese communists. Chairman Cheng will fall. China will fall. Communism is the very definition of failure. And then further on. Communist threat assessment, minimal. Scanning defenses. Repeat, red Chinese orbital strike inbound. All US Army personnel must vacate the area immediately. Protection protocols engaged. And then he also just states some marvels such as democracy is non-negotiable. It is just amazing. <laughs> democracy is the essence of good. Communism, the very definition of evil. It is just uh, excellent and it's so, so blatant and nice. But one thing that I noticed again while researching this somewhat silly episode, which is like I said, only there because hey, if someone asks you to do something silly like this and something actually fun, which you don't do that often, then, well, fun time is that in the early Fallout games, at least, all this depiction of China and this invasion was kind of a satire, but in further games, it's kind of played straight. However, it's always fun to just, you know, have some super hammy voice and someone who's so against communism while smashing basically down the enclave, which is, at that point, United States government, because they've turned evil at, at some point. However, yeah, you know, it, this is an interesting kind of rumination analysis and a bit shorter than usual, but, well, if you think about it, if you look at some specific ideology or peoples depicted in video games and every other media, there's a large variety. However, everyone from the Soviet Union obviously speaks with a Russian accent, and everyone tries their best to play on some stereotypes, because, well, sadly, for some characters to be recognizable from some area, I suppose you have to give them certain traits, certain recognizable features, something that players can associate themselves with. And sometimes these stereotypes and this hamminess kind of, they give you stereotypes, sometimes they give you wrong stereotypes, but other times at least it allows you to associate more with what you're doing. And well, if you listen to my show and if you play video games, then sure, go on and blast it and play the Soviet campaign in some games. Try Red Alert, I, I highly recommend it and do your best. Maybe, maybe you'll win and maybe that's a fun thing because, well, happiness is mandatory and oh boy, this was a weird one to make. But yeah, go forth, play some Soviets. And when you play them, put the history back in perspective. Put what you've heard on the show and the more serious episodes in the background and, and think about what the depiction of the Soviets are in the games, which often contrasts with what you have heard on the show. До свидания, товарищ. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.